New writing. New North. writing. New North. writing. North. New writing. You're North. listening to a podcast by New Writing North. North. Welcome to this New Writing North podcast. Spring is in the air, along with a renewed sense of hope and optimism. So we've rounded up some books we think are quite funny, uplifting, or just perfect for getting engrossed in this season as we attempt to navigate Boris's roadmap. I'm Rebecca Wilkie. And I'm Grace Keane. And these are some of the uplifting books we're recommending for spring 2021. So when putting this list of books together, I actually found it quite hard, Grace. I find that there aren't that many books uh, and writers that kind of overtly present themselves as being uplifting or or funny at the moment. Yeah, when I was looking at my bookshelves, it does seem to be full of a lot of quite bleak stuff. And I think you can not really realise that as you're just reading a book because, you know, it's a good story. But when looking at it en masse, I, I did kind of struggle, yeah, to find things that are a little bit more... I guess, positive. Although, as you'll see, not all of the books on this list are necessarily uplifting, but they are escapist. Yeah. I think people's idea of what is uplifting differs as well, doesn't it? Depending on on the individual. I think I'm quite trad. I think I find happy stories with kind of uplifting endings and some humor uh, and ends being tied up, very satisfying. But I know that you for example find a really twisty thriller that's absorbing yeah but that's interesting as well I was thinking about this the other day thrillers in a way often have that really tied up ending that a lot of literature doesn't have and I think that can be quite a comfort like you know that you're going to be given a problem but it's going to get solved and I think that is has been what I've kind of been craving at the minute yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's why a lot of people have been watching, binge watching crime dramas and things like that for the, the exact same reason. That you kind of want, you want something, a problem to be fixed. Um, I think also that funny books often aren't taken as seriously kind of definitely. by critics. Mm. They're not shortlisted or longlisted for literary prizes in the same way. And it's difficult to know exactly why that is. I guess historically that's just always been the case. Mm. But I think it ties into how hard it is to find a series of books that are, that sort of provide that for us. Yeah, I think definitely. And I think there's actually more of a like renaissance around that conversation now saying that not good literature doesn't have to be literature that's extremely bleak and depressing. And I think I read some interesting conversations on Twitter, particularly from writers of colour saying that, you know, for their work to be read widely, it shouldn't have to be about traumatic and difficult things that come from being a person of colour in the world they also want their like joyful stories and just normal human stories to be appreciated as well so I think maybe we will see a bit of a swing hopefully to a broader range I mean I do still like a depressing book every now and then but it's nice to have something a bit more hopeful. I agree and maybe when we're out of all of this or close to out of all of this we will see some more hopeful and uplifting books because I think that we've gone through a really difficult few years haven't we Mm. and that's obviously going to be reflected in the books that people are writing but I think people as you say are going to be ready for some joy and escapism and other sides of stories and other sides of people's lives. I really liked um, the writer Frank Cottrell-Boyce, the Liverpool writer Frank Cottrell-Boyce, shared a thing on Twitter about funny writing. He's a screenwriter and a children's writer 
uh, of children's books. And I just thought it was really profound and interesting. And he said, when you decide to write funny, you have to accept you're never going to win the Booker, the Nobel, or probably not the Carnegie either. Charlie Chaplin himself never won an Oscar. And in our society, serious is taken very seriously. So you have to remember why you're doing it. And then he goes on to talk about how his dad, who grew up in a working class Liverpool family, um, was given a copy of Just William when he was a little boy by his older brother who brought it back from sea. He was in the Navy. And that book changed his dad's life and it set him off on a journey of becoming a reader and falling in love with books. And then he became a teacher and it just totally transformed his life. Just that one Just William book. And Frank Cottrell Boyce put, I just thought it was gorgeous. And then he put um, the regime that was trying to torpedo my uncle's ship is now no more. The strange Dockland neighbourhood, the sailors who had travelled the world and come back with monkeys and parrots and their wives who ruled the roost but never left the two street roost is as lost as Camelot. Most of it was bombed flat just a few weeks after that book came out of the kit bag and was given to my dad. The empire that the docks were meant to serve has fallen. But William is as alive as ever because a good joke outlasts empires and a good joke can set a child on a course to a much better life and that better life will make other lives better. And oh, I just that's lovely. That, isn't it lovely? Yeah, we'll and have I have to link to that. Um... I think we should. I think serious looks important when life is comfortable, but when bombs are falling and when you're at sea in a rickety ship fleeing from war or fighting a war, then you realise that nothing is as serious as funny and no achievement is higher than innocent laughter. And that's why you do funny. And I just thought that was really lovely. And it made me think a lot about the books we might start to see coming out over the next few years. Actually, the first book that I was going to recommend today was a book that actually made me cry with laughter. And it was such a tonic to read it when I picked out, I had a proof copy given to me in January when things felt so bleak. Mm. And it really just made me laugh. The book I'm going to recommend is called Early Morning Riser by the American writer Catherine Heine. And I loved it so much. I'd read her earlier book, Standard Deviation, which I'd also really recommend and is also very funny. It's very much in the tradition of writers like Nora Ephron and Maria Semple and Eleanor Littman, those kinds of funny American writers. Um, And it was it's just I just think there's such a place for these kind of books. The story of Early Morning Riser spans about 17 years and it's set in a quirky small town in Michigan. And it's the story of Jane, who's a primary school teacher. Sidebar, I think anyone that works with children or is a teacher will find this book especially funny because there's (laughs) lots of observations about the classroom and the way children behave. And so she moves there when she's 26 years old. And the story follows 17 years in her life and relationships. And we see her love life kind of unfold in a way that she doesn't expect it's going to and it's incredibly touching and profound but also just very very funny there's just so many brilliant lines in there that made me cry with laughter I can't recommend it enough that's coming out in April I and can't wait to read it I've also got a proof on my Kindle which yeah I can't wait to get to I love I think when you find a book that actually makes you laugh out loud it's just such a kind of rare and special experience I think it stays with you for a long time yeah definitely how about you Grace well the first book I haven't got to it yet I do have a massive stack of books to get to but I'm very excited to get to this one next this is uh, the final revival of Opal and Neve by Dawny Walton 
So this is published, this is coming out in April as well, actually. And the first thing that interested me about this book is that it's about an imaginary, um, or the character is a musician, basically, who becomes famous. They're a duo on the brink of stardom. And it had been compared to Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid. And this book is set in the 1970s and Opal, our main character, is coming up as a punk artist. Um, and basically, I think the plot of the story is that her and Neve are performing at a concert and a rival band bear a kind of Confederate flag and they are black protagonists. And so it follows their kind of career in the music industry and also looks at the kind of the racial environment of the time. Uh, so it's yeah, early 70s in New York. And I think one of the things I found so escapist um, and entertaining about Daisy Jones, and I think it's going to be the same for this one, is that you're in a world that feels real. I'm not someone who necessarily escapes into fantasy, but learning about this famous band and being in the 70s, I don't really like historical fiction, but being in a moment that you can imagine so clearly and that feels very uh, kind of absorbing and captivating, even if it's a time that you haven't experienced, I just think is really good for escapism. And that's the kind of thing that I, I look to. And I think obviously this book is going to have some very you know, pertinent, serious themes around race, but there's also the sort of fun of uh, being, you know, being famous and being in the music industry. And people have said, you know, it is a very kind of entertaining as well as it's a really important book. And I just think, yeah, there's just something so fun about diving into the this sort of fake music industry and bands and concerts and the 70s. I think it's going to be really great. Yeah. I agree, actually. I think this looks brilliant. And I loved Daisy Jones and the Six. So I think that I will really love this. I also love the 70s, yeah. the 70s music era. I actually rewatched the film Almost Famous, which is set in that, um, oh, yeah. that period recently. And that really stood up. It's 20 years, I think, since it was mm. first released and really enjoyed it. I think that book sounds great. And that's going to be out in March as well isn't it and that's that's coming out in in March on the 30th of March that sounds so cool the next book I'm going to talk about is Mrs Death Mrs Death by Selena Gordon which has just been published by Canon Gate so it's out now it's the story of Mrs Death who is a black working class woman who shapeshifts and sort of moves through time telling her story to a young writer that she encounters called Wolf Williford and she asks them to write her memoir, write about her life. It's a really interesting concept and although as the title suggests it is obviously about death yes, and it's quite, and it's quite confronting um, at times, it ultimately contains a really uplifting message which is life is fleeting and precious and we should really try and make the most of it so when you finish the book you actually do feel quite uplifted and I felt on quite a high when I finished it yeah it's really unusual it's very lyrical Selena Gordon is a performance poet and that shows in the way she writes I would say if you enjoyed Max Port if you enjoy Max Porter's writing if you enjoyed Grief is the thing with feathers or Lanny, yeah. you would enjoy this. It, it comes from that school, I would say. Really unusual. I think we'll probably see and hear a lot about this book 
this year would really recommend it well that sounds great yeah I definitely want to pick that up especially as like you say maybe if you just seen it and saw death twice in the title you might not think it would necessarily yes. be that uplifting so that's good to get get your uh, review on it so yeah I'll have to mm-hmm. prioritize that one another book that is coming out in March um, and from One World who, which I can't wait to read is His Only Wife by Peace Adzomedi. So this is kind of a coming of age story. I am a massive sucker for coming of age stories. Me too. Family dramas. And I think they are just some of the most uplifting and kind of heartwarming things to read about, just read, getting into the lives of a family. And so we're following a young Ghanaian woman who uh, is very kind of poor, Um, She's a young seamstress. She lives with a widowed mother. And then she gets a proposal from a very wealthy man who she barely knows, but it seems like kind of the key to turning her life around. So she moves to Accra and basically has to deal with his quite eccentric family, getting her head around the role of what being a wife is and what, you know, being a daughter and meeting all these new people and it just sounds really really heartwarming it's been described as a comedy of manners which is just one of my favorite things it's been compared to crazy rich asians that sort of big kind of composite characters um it's yeah it just sounds brilliant i think the writing is people have said the writing's really really witty and funny but it is also really heartwarming and i think this is just going to be such a kind of delight to lose to lose myself in I'm really looking forward to that. Have you got a copy of it yet, Grace? Yeah, I think I'm getting sent one. So oh, once exciting. I'm done with it, you can obviously can have it. it. <laughs> my way. Exciting. I've got a proof of a book called How to Kidnap the Rich by Rahul Rayner, which is going to be published in May by Little Brown. And there's a lot of excitement and hype around this book already. Apparently, it's been optioned by HBO for a TV mm. series. So we'll be seeing more of it soon. It is the it's a dark comedy. I've started reading it. So it's a dark sort of comedy satire. It's described in the blurb as a witty and satirical crime thriller. And that's very much how it seems so far. It's about um, a guy called Ramesh, who is an examinations consultant. So He's basically a cog in the wheel, apparently, that keeps uh, India's middle classes thriving. That's how the (laughs) blurb describes it. So he takes exams for the children of rich people so that they can go to elite universities, essentially, which is something that we know has been happening in America (laughs) with with the whole college admissions scandal. I wonder if this has been somewhat inspired by that, which has been playing out over the last couple of years in in the United States. So he takes, so the protagonist takes an exam for a lazy, rich teenager, but accidentally scores the highest mark in the country, (laughs) propelling a said teenager to stardom. So what happens next includes blackmail, reality TV, grotesque wealth and kidnapping. So it's a caper, I think. Mm, Yeah. Sounds really different to anything that I've read recently. And quite funny so far the writer lives between Oxford and Delhi and it's set in Delhi the book is set in Delhi and I just think we're gonna again it's a book I think we're gonna see and hear a lot about this year and just feels great yeah just sounds very different yeah to anything else that I've picked up recently I do think as well it's quite I like when humor is mixed with a more kind of yeah like a not quite thriller but a bit of 
kind of absurdist adventure that sounds really really fun exactly yeah speaking of thrillers so the next book that I have a copy of I'm starting it very soon as I say as I'm saying about them all um it's The Last House on Needless Street by Catriona Ward so this book kind of grabbed my attention because it has just been blurbed by so many people and everyone is saying this book I mean the first one Stephen King haven't Stephen King hasn't read anything this exciting since Gone Girl so really that yeah what more can you say so I am a massive thriller reader I absolutely love it it says about this book um it's the story of a serial killer a stolen child revenge and an ordinary house at the end of a street or but then it says you think you know what this book's going to be you don't so it just sounds like it's going to be really twisty I do think it's going to be extremely dark don't get me wrong um death you know serial killers but there is such an escapist feeling when you pick up a thriller that you literally can't put down and you just can't think about anything else and you're racing to get through it which is what happened to me with Gone Girl it's happened to me with like a few thrillers in my life where I've just been so consumed by that story it might not be uplifting in the traditional sense but it really does take you to like another place and I love that feeling so I've been really excited about this I think it's going to be absolutely everywhere this also comes out in March um this is published by Profile and yeah I just can't wait I love a twisty book that's gonna knock me kind of sideways I absolutely can't wait to read it sounds great is it a British writer or an American writer um I think she is a, I think she is a British writer yeah cool it sounds great I'm excited I bet I bet you that will get optioned for tv oh, as well serial film. so we'll be seeing it in a few different forms I'm sure soon the last book I was going to mention is a non-fiction book that crossed my path and it's called a toolkit for modern life by Dr Emma Hepburn Mm -hmm. who is a clinical psychologist who uh, tweets as psychologist mum has a big following on Twitter she has written a really uh, interesting free resource about how to stay calm in a global pandemic that someone had emailed me a lot of offices and workplaces have been sharing it and it's really accessible really useful reassuring writing so I was pleased to see that there's actually a whole book she's actually got a whole book coming out we'll actually link to the resource the free resource she's produced below just for those people that haven't seen it because I would really recommend it and this book is going to be sort of proven and practical tools for taking care of mental and emotional well-being every day and I think as we emerge touch wood as we emerge from the last year I think the cost to people's mental health is going to be very high no matter what their experiences have been so I think this this kind of book could be really really helpful for people as they approach summer and start getting out and about in the world again. Yeah, definitely. That free resource was just so kind of what a lot of people need, I think. And it, yeah, it was a, a nice way of engaging with what's happening at the minute without feeling too overwhelmed, I would say. I thought so. And totally non-patronising. It was, but, but also very accessible. Mm-hmm. So I think that book, and I'm sure there will be others like it as well coming out over the next few months, um, it's just good to know about it. That's out already and that's published by Quercus. Great. Well, my final one, I've uh, talked about escaping into the past 
or into a thriller. But this is a kind of future uh, escapism. And it's Clara and the Sun by Kazuo Ishiguro. So I am a massive Ishiguro fan. He's one of my favourite authors of all time. I've never not given any of his books five stars. I just think he is so inventive and manages to write across so many almost different genres. If you think about Remains of the Day, Never Let Me Go, Pale View of Hills, he always just does something really inventive and exciting. So if he told me I was going to be buzzing about reading a book about AI, I would have been confused (laughs) because that's not typically necessarily something I would read. Obviously, Never Let Me Go was a little bit of a dystopian, but Clara and the Sun is about Clara, who is an artificial friend. Um, So it's kind of set in the future when AI has developed and she is basically hoping that a customer will choose her. Um, And it looks at the kind of relationship between technology and humans. Um, I think people, like I say, with sometimes you just don't want to read about things that are set in the present when the present is difficult. And I think for some people that can be historical, but for other people, it's just being so far in the future that everything we're going through now is just not, you know, it's not in play at all. Um, And I think all of Ishiguro's books are so escapist. He's just such a masterful writer and you really lose yourself in them. Um, So, yeah, I can't wait to see what he does with this kind of technology uh, landscape and AI. I absolutely can't wait to read it. I have a copy of that on the way. That's really exciting. People are going to be so excited for this book to come out. There's nothing like the feeling of knowing that your favourite writer has got a book coming out, I think. Totally. Totally. It's such a thrill. And they can almost write anything. It's just that secure, lovely feeling that that, exactly. that you're in safe hands. You know, you know, you're in safe hands, and you can sort of relax into that, no matter what the content is. Definitely. So, yes, an exciting one to look out for. And that's being published by Faber in March. In March, in a couple of in a couple of days, I think. By the time this podcast oh, goes out, it'll already be out. It will be out there. How exciting! So we're now being joined by one of our colleagues, Anna Disley from New Writing North. And we're going to talk about, rather than just the books that have come out now, some of our most uplifting books of all time, the books that we want everyone to read, um, especially if they're feeling a bit down at the minute. So I'll start by recommending Less by Andrew Sean Greer. So I read this book early 2020, I think it was. I chose it for our work book club, actually, because... It won the Pulitzer Prize in 2018, I think it was. And it just sounded like quite a quirky little novel. It's about um, an author called Arthur Less who lives in San Francisco. He's a kind of middlingly successful author. He kind of thinks he's a bit rubbish. um, And he's a gay man who is in his 50s. He's single. And when he receives a wedding invitation from his ex-boyfriend, Freddie, he decides there's no way he's going to this wedding. But there's also no way he's saying that he's not going because that looks embarrassing. So instead, he cobbles together all of these work invites for various literary festivals, uh, guest lecturing in Berlin, um, doing a writing retreat in India to finish his next book. And so he spends a few months traveling the world. And it's just the most gorgeous book. It's so well written. Obviously, it won the Pulitzer Prize. The writing is beautiful. But it's just a really human and positive story about kind of it's funny it takes the mick out of Arthur definitely it takes the mick out of the literary scene um there was a lot of stuff that we were all kind of laughing at but it's about yeah but it's about not being as down on yourself and actually noticing the good things in life and without giving any spoilers it also just has one of the most beautiful heartwarming love stories I've ever read in books and I think sometimes 
love stories can be a little bit saccharine or they're like completely devastating. Whereas this one, by the end of it, I was just tearing up with joy. And yeah, I think about Arthur so fondly all of the time. I absolutely love that book. I love that book too. We loved doing that, didn't yeah. we, for, book, for our book club? It's gorgeous, isn't it? I think it's very often that a comedy, uh, you know, a book that says as a comedy is would win exactly, the Pulitzer Prize. Exactly. It's sort of seriously, you know, literary novel, but um, hilarious and gorgeous and heartwarming. What about you, Anna? What's your most uplifting book? Well, um, I'm going to choose. I don't know if I'd say it was uplifting, but I definitely think it's mm, comforting. Yeah. Um, it's, it's it's Barbara Pym, who I love, and it's um, a book that I actually read this year during lockdown called Jane and Prudence, and it's certainly it's it's it certainly um, made me feel better anyway somehow during lockdown. And I think the reason it's comforting is because or uplifting is because she's such an empathetic writer. Mm. Um, but that isn't to say that she hasn't got a bit of an edge. So I, I, what I love about her is that her canvas is so small. She basically writes about the smallness she of does. characters' lives. But they are often so kind of wryly observed. So her many of her books are, are kind of very much about the same territory, really. They're often about <laughs> vicars. Usually, usually set in the 1950s, she's around that time, just post-war. Um, jumble sales. You know, um, Oxford educated women who go on to have small lives and sometimes frustrating office jobs or, or, um, or, or have to sort of plump for marriages to vicars who are, or other slightly inadequate men. Um, but, but the, the, the inadequate men somehow show the women to be better or somehow, so, or somehow kind of, you know, the women make those men better, basically. It's quite, I think, a gently feminist t- feminist um, take on on the world. But basically, Jane and Prudence, and a lot of her work is doesn't often have an awful lot of plot. It's usually just wry observations about um, the small, you know, village uh, village church life that um, that happens in in her in her novels. Um, but this is about Jane and Prudence. It's um, Jane is a forty-something vicar's wife, married to Nicholas, who, who's her, her vicar her husband, who's just moved into a new parish in a small village. And she doesn't really have the makings of a vicar's wife. She's very undomesticated and a bit dishevelled. So um, there's a reference to her wearing a coat more suited to feeding the chickens <laughs> to go out. <laughs> you know, and um, she, but, and, and I think she. They, at some point, they, they they say, you know, it says that she's outspoken, and her fantastic turn of mind is not always appreciated by the older ladies of the <laughs> parish. So basically, she's hugely observant, and she kind of notices things that one shouldn't. Basically, um, and then she's got a, a friend who's younger than her called Prudence and is unmarried. And um, they met while Jane tutored Prudence at her Oxford College, so they're both Oxford graduates. Um, and Prudence does live a much more glamorous, independent life in London. Um, she's always really well turned out, and you know, and she she does something vague in um, in, in publishing, I think, um, in in her office job, um, but. Um, and, and basically, um, Jane is that if there is a plot, it's about Jane trying to match make Prudence mm. um, because Prudence does have quite a lot of infatuations with a series of disappointing men. Disappointing men seem to feature quite a lot in. in, mm, in I do. In yeah, but I think 
you know, I think ultimately what I think is that her disappo- the disappointments of these women, you know, they are ultimately disappointed. There's a vague sense of longing in all in all the books, you know, because they are sub- they are subjugated and they are, you know, they they don't have many choices in life in, in their life. But I think Barbara Pym sort of finds her power in sort of pointing out the hypocrisies and the ridiculousnesses of of life in these small in the, these small lives. So um, basically. It's, it, it's very warm, empathetic, but a, with a bit of an edge, I think. Yeah, very wry, very wry Barbara Pym, isn't she? So yeah. wry. There's an, actually a biography of Barbara Pym coming out this year, which I think we'll all be looking forward to, by Paula Byrne, who's written biographies of people like Jane Austen in the past. So I think that's something to look out for. But I agree, Anna, I love Barbara Pym. I haven't read Jane and Prudence. My favourite is Excellent, Excellent Women. Excellent women it is excellent. I read that I read that a few years ago so I couldn't immediately they are quite difficult to remember because their plots are a lot yes similarities in all the plots but um but I yeah I love yeah I that's great yeah her observation well talking of small lives and observations my my favorite book that I've chosen my favorite uplifting book is The Diary of a Nobody by George and Weeding Grossmith, which is about just that. It's about the most ordinary of ordinary suburban men, Mr. Pooter, Mr. Charles Pooter, who lives in who lives in the dull, the new and rather dull suburb of Holloway in North London. And he's a member of the, the new clerking classes. So he's an aspirational middle class person who happily goes off to work in the city for his slightly patronizing boss Mr Perkup every day and it is it's the diary the diary of his of his very ordinary life and he's quite hapless and rather pompous but he's very very content with his life and his job and his marriage to his wife Carrie he's got a wayward son called Lupin who's always getting into trouble and all all Mr Pooter wants is for Lupin to settle down and go and work in the city like him. And he's even happy with the railway line that runs along the bottom of their garden because it meant they got two pounds off the rent. So so it's fine. He's a bit worried about it at first, but he realised absolutely fine. And I just find it such a comforting book. I first read it when I was a teenager and I've, I've read it many, many times since. It was the book... When um when when the bombs happened in London, the seven seven bombs, I remember I was so frightened about having to get on the tube and go into work the next day, the next morning, because in two thousand and five, no one really knew how to work from home or anything. We were all just expected to go back into work again. I was so scared, and this was the book that I took with me because I knew it would make me feel calm and comforted, <laughs> and I could just read about Mr. Pooter and not. Not shake with fear. I mean, I think I still did shake with fear, but at least I had, at least I had this book with me. Um, he's he's the literary he's the literary precursor to Adrian Mole. There would be no Adrian Mole without without Mister Pooter. There probably wouldn't be a Bridget Jones. I don't think there'd be an Alan Partridge. I think all of those comic, very English comic creations come from this. Tony Hancock as well, is that an early that kind of, you know. Yeah, it's this everyday, ordinary Englishman uh, who's so sort of um, proud of his little house and garden and 
you know, obviously Mr. Pooja doesn't have a car, but when you think of Alan Partridge with his driving gloves <laughs> and that kind of thing, I just, it's all kinds of, there's a, there's a line between them all. And I just, it just never ceases to uplift me. I'd recommend it to anybody, especially at the moment when we all need a bit of a laugh and a bit of a comfort. And it's for all his faults, Mr. Pooter, he doesn't speak very nicely to the servant, Sarah, but he's not a cruel man. He's actually quite a kind man in many ways. And I think that's one of the things that lifts it as well. Is it's never nasty humour. It's mm. always gentle um and I keep I mean I keep trying to I keep reading lines and just like laughing to myself because I still find it so funny when Mr Pooter makes a good joke he writes about it in his diary <laughs> sometimes he wakes up twice a night and laughs until the bed shakes at the recollection of having made it earlier that day um yeah I just recommend it I can imagine him in a pym you know, he's a he's a, yeah. he's a man isn't he you know who Jane or Prudence might end up end up with Kind of. Right. Yes, a slightly because Carrie, you never Carrie sometimes laughs along with Mr. Pooter, but then sometimes he's a bit bewildered because she just turns on her heel oh. and leaves him. When he calls her out into the garden to say that he thinks that maybe they should they he didn't realise they'd become a lodging house, and she asks what he means, and he says, Well, look at these borders pointing to the garden. And he doesn't understand why Carrie just turns on her heel and walks oh. away. She doesn't seem to share the she doesn't seem to t- share his delight. Um, yeah, there is a link between Pim. I think. So. I think. I think so. I think so. English. What about what about things we like to watch to feel uplifted? Anna, what's your best oh thing? Oh God, well, I, I think I might just have to make some embarrassing, um, <laughs> uh, you know, um, declarations. The, th- the things I really like that make me uplifted are things like MasterChef. <laughs> Or university challenge. I guess yeah. I'm especially uplifted if I've got a, a few <laughs> questions right on university. But you know, that kind of I don't know, just sort of very easy. Um, well, not university challenge, obviously not very easy, but just oh, you know where you are with it. Basically, there is there is a right and wrong answer. It's not there's nothing nothing too <laughs> taxing about it. I really like that. But in terms of kind of programs, I've you know series I've watched recently. I think we've all watched Shit's Creek and really liked it. Yes. Some episodes that are mm-hmm. properly uplifting like um when they do cabaret yes i agree i absolutely love it i was you know i would literally was out of my seat because i i um it it was so great and i am currently like many other people and i know you two have watched it already watching call my agent um uh, i do find uplifting because it's um well it's obviously it's set in paris it's so glamorous um, also there is something very warm about the characters a bit like Shit's Creek as, as well you know there is something very kind of um you know they've all they've all got edge they have they are um ultimately you know very warm people they are call my agent's been such escapist wonderful viewing to see Paris with people drinking in lovely bars and walking along the Champs-Élysées thronging with people makes so happy I so happy and all those cl- I mean they're just so stylish aren't they effortlessly so um. stylish so stylish and actually having been a young person that worked in an agency 
around the time I had to take Mr. Pooter with me on the on the tube. Mm. It, I really, it really, it's really well captured. I really like it for nostalgic reasons as well. It really. The head, the head of the agency used to go around to all the actors' houses, glamorous looking houses. That's. That he kind of tricks across Paris. Going to does. And the, the, the other cool thing about Call My Agent is that real French stars play themselves yeah. in each episode. So some of them we as Brits don't recognise, but there's also people that we will recognise, like um, Charlotte Gainsbourg is in, is in one. And... Um, is it Isabella Gianni and people like that? Yeah, um, yeah. It's a style, isn't she in one? I mean, like, I haven't seen I haven't seen them those yet. We just started it, but. Uh... Yeah. Yes. So it's become so huge in France that stars are now <laughs> clamouring to play themselves, to stand themselves up and play, kind of often pretty unflattering versions of themselves. It's it's a that is a really good lockdown watch. I agree. I think I was I was really torn about which ones which what to pick I was thinking first maybe Gilmore Girls which I love which is so comforting and actually elements of the book I discussed at the beginning of the podcast which is the Catherine Heine book Early Morning Rise and remind me a little bit of of Stars Hollow which is where Gilmore Girls is set but I've actually chosen Parks and Recreation because I think everyone who's loved Shit's Creek during lockdown if they haven't watched Parks and Rec should do because it's actually, I think, probably even better. It was, I think, started in about 20, 2012, the seven series of it. And it stars Amy Poehler, the comedian Amy Poehler. It's set in the fictional town of Pawnee, Indiana, in the Parks and Recreation Department of local government. And it's, again, it's it's what we keep talking about. It's ordinary people, it's sort of ordinary mundane people celebrating celebration of the everyday and of mundane lives and kindness. And it's really, really funny, but it's never cruel. And Leslie Nope, who, who's the character played by Amy Poehler, is relentlessly optimistic and full of self-belief. It's really warm and funny. And I think a lot of people who haven't seen it now is a perfect time to tune in and watch it. I'm definitely going to make it my next lockdown series, hopefully the last lockdown series. But yeah, I'm really yeah. keen to, to watch that. I feel like I agree with everything that you've all said. All of those series have been providing me comfort. I chose a film because I'm not really particularly film person. I do usually watch box sets, but one film that will always, always cheer me up is The Full Monty. I absolutely <laughs> love that film. My first memory of it was being very young in bed uh, and my parents were still up and just hearing um, the song Hot Stuff and my parents screaming with laughter to the point that it woke me up. So I was just like in the morning, like, what were you watching last night? And they were like, oh, it's the full Monty. And then when I was a bit older, I watched it. And yeah, I've just watched it so many times. That scene when they're in the queue at the Dole office just makes me laugh but again it's a very like quiet you know human small community story um it has a great soundtrack and it yeah it just makes me laugh so so much I absolutely love it and an extremely huh? memorable final yeah image. for sure <laughs> very for memorable sure. very memorable I haven't watched that for ages actually yeah. maybe maybe this is a good chance yeah, to definitely. to revisit it Honestly. When he, when he swings his jacket around his head to try and be sexy and all the change falls out of his pocket and goes flying around the room. No, I'm so much. 
I think finally we were going to say um, a song. Obviously, we can't play them, but you'll just have to, once you finish listening to this podcast, immediately go and listen to all of these uh, songs that we find in some way happy, comforting, uplifting. This was probably the easiest, wasn't it? Because there's so many songs like this. So many, so many, really hard to pick. I was, I mean, I was getting my, I was, I think I, I sort of mentioned before, I was getting my head around uplifting books. I'm not sure how many books I feel uplifted mm. by. You know, I feel comforted by books, but not uplifted. Whereas a song, you absolutely, you know, it's almost, you know, you, you can imagine yourself on that, getting on that totally. dance floor and you know, going to, you know, going to dance and be uplifted too. Mine is, well, I've got a couple. The first is possibly a song that's not that widely known, but, um, it's by a, a, an, an artist called Tammy Lynn, and it's called Runaway. It's a Northern Soul number, and I think it was in the top ten in the early 70s, but it's properly a dance floor, floor filler, and whenever it comes on, I will <laughs> be there up there dancing. Um, but, it, it, you know, and similarly, I think my other major uplifting song is um, Beyonce's Crazy Love. Who doesn't love that? I mean, and I can distinctly remember the first time I ever heard it, and, where, and it almost <laughs> stopped me in my tracks, so I was like, Oh my god, it's so amazing! So um, Beyonce's "Crazy in Love," Tammy Tammy Lynn's um, "Runaway." I mean, Stevie Wonder as well, of course. You know, also sort of uh, covers it for uplifting numbers. But um, you know, I could go on. Many a shape um, has been thrown at you writing North Christmas yeah. party to Beyonce and Stevie yeah. Wonder, mainly by the three of us. <laughs> it's true. What songs did you pick, Well, Grace? I've gone for the song that has literally been my soundtrack to lockdown. I discovered the song kind of early last year, and I was like, this is just so good. Like, what is it? And then it's just been, because obviously I listened to music a lot of the time previously in my before life, like on the go. And so I listen to less music, I feel like, in lockdown if I'm just sitting there. But So whenever I need to put something on, like getting in the shower, cooking food, I just put this song on and I've listened to it so much. It's Wait a Minute by Willow Smith. And it's kind of a, I mean, she's got such an amazing voice. I guess it's like a, a pop song you'd describe it as. But it's just so catchy. It's so, like, I don't know, it just makes me feel so, like, happy. And I can't wait to one day be able to dance to it, like, outside of my own home. <laughs> I think that's a good choice. I, like Anna, really struggle to pick a song. I think my song of the, my best uplifting song of the last year to two years has been Lizzo good as hell oh, I love the, the, remix, the remix of Ariana Grande love it absolutely love it she's so full of self-belief and mm. optimism and like feel good I think in fact the whole of the album her last album is the most uplifting life-affirming album I can think of oh. in recent times she's brilliant so I think I would probably pick that I have listened to it a lot and I would I've got loads of all-time favorite ones like I like Northern Soul like Anna I was thinking about Paul Simon, Call Me Al, which just makes me think of being in the car when I was little and driving, you know, feeling joyful, going on holiday and everybody singing along. So I think maybe that one as well, which has a um, very special place in my heart as well. But yeah, music is one of the best ways to feel uplifted, 100%. I think. I've always found it to be. Yeah. Yeah, well, now everyone will have to go and listen to all of those songs uh, and feel uplifted. And then you can read the books and then you can watch the films and that'll get us through to June, hopefully. Fingers crossed. So thanks for listening to New Writing North Spring 2021 podcast. You can find links to all the books we've talked about below. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.